0: Welcome to the No Shame on You podcast, where we talk to mental health professionals, educators, and advocates. No Shame on You is a 501c3 organization dedicated to eliminating the stigma associated with mental health conditions and raising awareness. Our goal is for people who need help to seek it, for family members and friends to know how to provide proper support and to save lives. Welcome to the 29th episode of the No Shame on You podcast. No Shame on You is an organization dedicated to eliminating the stigma associated with mental health conditions and raising mental health awareness. I'm Wendy Singer, the director of programming for No Shame on You, and I'm so, so, so excited for our guest today. I met her last month, and I knew immediately that we should be best friends and that she should be on this podcast. So... (laughs) It's true. It's true. 22-year-old college student Haley Epstein has been speaking on men- as a mental health advocate and ally for the past three years, sharing her journey with mental health. As founder of the It's Okay to Not Be Okay movement, Haley has spoken to thousands of teens, parents, educators, and communities about the stigma so many of us feel alongside our mental health in hopes of normalizing the conversation that we so often shy away from. And that's why she's the perfect match for No Shame on You, because we are all about having conversations, raising awareness, and eliminating stigma. Through open and authentic storytelling, discussion, and conversation, Haley not only talks about how to support yourself and those you love while going through a difficult time, but creates a space in which you are reminded that you're not alone, that asking for help is the bravest thing you can do. And and most importantly, it's okay to not be okay. Haley, welcome. How are you today?
1: I'm good. That bio really does hype me up. I think she seemed like something so much bigger. I'm just, I'm it's good. It's pretty big and pretty
0: cool. <laughs> and you're pretty awesome. You. And,
1: you.
0: you know, we I'm have a lot in common. Haley, we have a lot in common because one, we're mental health advocates, and two, you um, were a unit head at JCC Chicago, where I ran Apache camp. So we have the camp thing in common. We have the mental health thing in common. And then I just found out that you babysat for my best friend's kids. So we have that in common that we both love the Orenstein family. And so now tell me a little bit more about yourself. Anything we didn't cover in in, anything we didn't
1: cover in the open, in the open it really gets like the bread and butter about me i um i'm 22 i go to northeastern illinois university i'm a senior studying social work so i'll graduate in a couple months with my bsw um and i've been giving a talk called it's okay to not be okay for i guess three years now which is crazy um because i feel like i just started but i also feel like i've always been doing it so that's nuts what else i'm a dancer fun facts. Um, I love Jesse McCartney and, uh, yeah, I love Thai food. Those are like my fun facts about me. Fabulous. (laughs)
0: Good to know. Um, so tell us about, start with your mental health journey. Tell us a little bit about you and what you, what you've experienced in your, in your life.
1: Yeah. So I, my whole life, I always say, I always described my childhood growing up as two different people. I was always smiling. I was like super goofy. I played every sport. I played happy the dwarf in snow white when I was younger. And that was Haley that like everyone saw. But if you were in my class in first grade, you knew that I couldn't face windows in a classroom because I had crazy anxiety attacks about clouds. That was like my big phobia as a kid. Um, and I like threw up every time I got on the bus. I cried every time my mom left me basically all until I was in like fourth grade is when my cloud phobia stopped. Um, but like my whole life anxiety was super, super normalized for me. And I'm very fortunate that I grew up in a family where mental health was so normalized. So I had seen a therapist since I was five years old, which was like very, very normal. I got put on medication for the first time when I was 11, um, so anxiety and therapy and all of that had kind of been the norm for me my whole life. Um, and then when I was in high school, I started to experience depression for the first time. I went to treatment for the first time for suicidal ideations when I was a senior in high school, um, went to treatment again for some eating disorder stuff. And yeah, I've been to treatment a couple of times and a lot about what I talk about is how it's not the person you least expect. So when I went into treatment, people were like, what do you mean? Like Haley's always smiling, like you have nothing to be depressed about. And so the feelings of like being like, why am I depressed when there are people that have so much worse was something that I experienced a lot. Um, And I talk a lot about how just because I went to treatment and have like a million thousand tools and skills doesn't mean that I don't also still have anxiety attacks like every single week and i don't ask my therapist to double up on therapy some weeks so that's like definitely still part of my mental health journey is being like yes healing is not linear and things don't just like automatically get better after you get help it's about learning how to get the tools to be able to deal with these things as they come up throughout your life yeah can you talk a little bit about your treatment in the
0: hospital and what that felt like, did you, did you feel immediately a little better? Did it take time? I just, I would love to hear a little bit about that. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So before I even talk about my experience, a lot of things that something that a lot of people don't have like knowledge about, because it's not talked about is like the different levels of hospitalization treatment. So there's inpatient treatment. Well, there's residential where you stay there for like months or years at a time. Then there's inpatient where you sleep there overnight. Then there's PHP, which is partial hospitalization program, where you would go like all day long, like school hours, and then you would come home at night. And then there's IOP, which is um, like you go like a couple days or like a couple hours like per day. And then it goes into outpatient services of like outpatient therapy. So when I first went to the hospital, like the very, very first time I had told anyone that I had thoughts about not wanting to be alive the you you meet with someone who does an assessment with you and they decide what level of treatment you qualify for and i was in a php program um so i would go all day like during the day i went my first time i went to the building literally on like lake hook and waukegan and so you'd go you walk in and you go and i would go from eight to two or whatever it was and then i'd come home at night and i'd go to dance or I'd go to dance company at the high school and no one knew where I was all day, but I made up every excuse in the book that had nothing to do with my mental health because I didn't want anyone to know the real reason I wasn't there. Um, but yeah, I think definitely at first it was definitely a sense of security of being like, like I finally told someone and like now I'm here and I'm getting the help I need. And then at least for me and my own experience, it very quickly turned into I want to be normal Haley again. And I don't wanna be in treatment and I wanna get back to school. I wanna get back to hanging out with my friends and feeling normal. So when I first went to treatment, I very much just went through the motions and I'm very, very good at knowing what to say and when to say. And that's been my biggest downfall since I was a kid of knowing how to get out of situations that I didn't wanna be in. Um, So I knew how to say all the right things and I got out of treatment pretty quick my first time. And then obviously I went back to school and it just got harder because I didn't actually get the treatment I needed. Um, So treatment can be a lot of different overwhelming emotions in the sense of feeling super safe and feeling like you have people that are finally listening and helping you. And at the same time can be super overwhelming of being like, this isn't me, this doesn't feel normal, quote unquote. So it's a whole bunch of different extreme emotions, at least in my own experience, I felt like all different ends of the spectrum for sure.
0: Well, then I'll follow up with, did those same feelings happen each time you went or did you feel different each time? I'm just
1: curious. Um, yes, um, I would say they definitely did. I mean, it's a both, it's an and. I'm a big, I mean, I talk about this a lot, but one of my biggest favorite things to do in the world that I've learned is changing all of your butts to and. So say like acknowledging that two things can exist at the same time, even though they're so opposing. So I would say it's an and. Like, yes, I definitely had some of the same emotions. Um, and I also felt very different every time I went too. So when I went the first two, I've gone to treatment three times. And the first two times were both within my senior year and they were only like two months apart. And then the third time I went was two years ago when I was in college. And when I went that time, It was very much, I talk about this a lot in my talks, but when I went that time, I didn't want to go at all. The first two times I had advocated for myself to go, this third time I was like, I don't want to go. There's no point in me going. I've learned everything I need to learn. And something that me and my therapist talked about a lot is about how, A, there's nothing wrong with asking for help tens, thousands, millions of times. And that when I went to treatment, each of those times, I was a completely Different person than I was. So the things that I'm hearing, the things that I'm learning, the ways that I'm projecting and putting them into my life is completely different when I'm 20 years old as compared to when I was 17 years old. And so I definitely think that some of the emotions were the same, but the way I took what I was learning and feeling it and processing it was completely different, I would say, each time. Thank you. That's interesting. And I appreciate you sharing that. You mentioned
0: that you in your earlier treatment in high school, that you didn't tell anybody what was going on with you. And how has that evolved in your life? I mean, clearly, you're in a totally different place. And I just wonder, did you have a pivotal moment or it was a gradual ability to be able to share?
1: So when I gave my first ever talk, I posted the video of it afterwards on my Facebook. And that was the first time, like in my 19 years of life, that anyone other than like my closest friends and family knew that I even had like anxiety. Like I had never told anyone. And so when I posted it, it was crazy. And I got a way bigger response than I was expecting. And that's where it kind of snowballed into what it is today of people just sharing and then me meeting people, and then those people connecting me with other people. And that's kind of how it started. But in the very beginning, I mean, when I was a kid, I used to one thing I talk about a lot of my talks is I'm also a type one diabetic. And I use my entire life. I've always used my physical health as an excuse to get out of things that I knew would make me anxious. So I didn't go to D.C. in eighth grade because I told people I like didn't find a room on time. I told people I had strep in seventh grade, so I didn't go to Springfield. And like at sleepovers, I would like take my meds before I went to bed. And I would tell people I like took Advil before I went to sleep and like put them in a different bottle. So then people didn't know that I was taking anxiety meds. And so I really was super closed off about it for a long time. And my talks have really, they obviously I love that they've helped so many other people and they've also helped me and I've grown so much from giving my talks and I've become so much more comfortable talking about my own mental health. And like, even from the first talk I gave to now, I'm so much more open and like, I don't want to say I wasn't authentic before, but I have a, I'm way more comfortable being vulnerable than I was in the beginning. Um, and the flip side of that is that something I've realized over the past couple months, or I would say like year so, is that now that I've built a platform, I feel such a pressure to always be sharing what's going on. And I forgot that I'm like, by nature, a very reserved, like closed off person. And so I'm in this interesting dynamic of feeling like if I have a really bad day, I need to post about it so someone can relate to it. But I'm like, well, I don't want to like, I want to have a bad day on my own. I don't want to post it on my story and then have my mom text me like, I saw you were having a bad day today. Like, are you okay? And so that's where I'm at now being like balancing of sharing and being comfortable sharing and also acknowledging the fact that a lot of me likes to keep things to myself. So it's been an interesting, That is
0: definitely a balance and Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I've read so many things that you can feel you, you can feel two things at the same time and it's an interesting balance that you're working on. And I'm sure it will be a constant, a constant balance, but I can see, I can see what you're saying. Um, Tell me how your friends and family have supported you on this journey, on your life's journey, and what that what that has been like for you.
1: So like I said before, I am so unbelievably fortunate to have a family that is so understanding and accepting of mental illness from a very young age. I talk with kids all the time every day about how they have people in their lives who don't believe in mental health, don't believe in medication. And I was very fortunate to grow up having like everyone in my family was on meds. Everyone in my family went to therapy. It was like, okay, great. Now you're like officially an Epstein now that you like have a therapist at five. And it was like, great.
0: Oh, and so, I just have to interrupt you for a moment. We have yeah. the same thing in my family and we say, and when that happens, we say, welcome to the family.
1: I, seriously, one of my family members—I had like one family member who had not had a therapist of like all of us, like all my cousins, everything—and he finally just got one. And I was like, "Well, now you're officially in the family. Welcome took to the family." Um, so I was very fortunate to have that. And at the same time, I—I um, I talk about this a lot. I have an internship this year um, at a psychiatric hospital, and I talk with—I work with the adolescent girls and boys specifically. And a lot of times parents have a difficult time helping their kids. And something I talk about with my patients, like the kids a lot, is how our parents are not born knowing how to parent a child with severe mental illness. Parents are not born being like, this is exactly the right way that I'm supposed to help my child that is feeling suicidal. This is the exact way I'm supposed to help my child who has extreme anxiety. And so in the beginning, A lot of my friends and family weren't supportive in the way that I needed them to be. And it wasn't because they were like, sorry, I'm swearing. Like it's not because they were, it was literally because they just didn't know how to help because they weren't taught. And I wasn't able to communicate. This is how I need you to help me. So in the beginning, a lot of it was not great. And I talk about that in my talks too, of like, my dad used to always be like, I miss normal Haley. And my mom would always be like, you're choosing when you're depressed and when you're not and things like that. And so it took time of being like, here's how I need you to help me. Here's what works for me. And then eventually getting to a point now where we can have conversations and talk about things. But I think a lot of when someone is going through something so severe with mental illness, it is so much a learning curve for not just the person with the mental illness, but also for the family, for the friends, for whoever, because again, no one's taught how to do it. And unless you tell the person, this is what I need from you they're not going to know how to help you correctly. So they definitely now, I mean, my friends and my family are amazing now. Um, but it also definitely like takes time and so it doesn't just happen right away, which can be frustrating.
0: Yeah, it's so hard, you know, as a person who, you know, I have my own mental health struggles and one of my daughters was in crisis and I remember being so heightened in anxiety because I didn't know if I did it this way, would it be okay? If I did it that way, is it okay? I was questioning everything that was happening, but I remember someone gave me the advice and just said, just walk, just take one step at a time and just walk and it's going to be okay. And I used that mantra in my head and tried to tried to trust my gut, but it is hard because every human is different, right? And everyone's yeah. experience is different. And what, what your experience is different from what your siblings experiences are and vice Great. versa. So I think that's really insightful what, what you shared. And um, I appreciate that. Um, Thank you. Yes. What advice on that note, you know, with someone else, a, a kid or a peer or even an adult, um, what advice would you give to someone who is, is going through a mental health struggle right now? and might be in crisis. What, what advice would you say to someone?
1: Um, the very first thing that I always tell people when they're going through something is that you're not alone. And I think a lot of times people feel like they are the only one going through this and that's why they don't talk about it because no one else is talking about it. Um, and so when I first opened up about everything that was going on and I, it happened through, Um, I made a piece in my dance company show about what had been going on and it was to a suicide hotline song. And I had sat down all the girls in my dance to talk about what my story was actually about and what the dance was about. And it was the first time I had opened up and I had 13 girls in my dance and 11 of them all opened up saying that they had gone through similar things, but none of us had ever talked about it because we all felt like we were the only ones going through it. So that's always the very first thing I tell people is that when you feel like you are the only person going through something, you are so, so, so not, and it's hard to not feel that way when no one's talking about it. So that is always my first thing is to know that you are not alone. I also, there are so many resources, like if you don't feel comfortable talking to a friend, to a family member, whoever, there are so, so, so many resources online and hotlines and phones and chats and there are so many resources that if you don't feel comfortable reaching out to someone, maybe in your personal life, there are other ways to get help. Um, those what I would say it would be my two biggest things. I also would say that my one of the biggest things I emphasize in my talks is that healing is not linear. So just because things are getting bad right now does not mean they're always going to stay bad. And just because things are great right now doesn't mean that they're always going to stay great. So I would say asking for help is the biggest thing. And I know it sounds corny, but like it really is okay to not be okay sometimes. And that's my biggest message always, because I think that's something that I never really believed until I got older. <laughs> yes, it's riding a wave. And it is, I think
0: that's great advice to give people. Um, I certainly remember the first time I went through something and I thought it would, I w- it would never get better because you don't have the perspective. But it sounds like you have that perspective that it's, it's up and down. Um, So you've been doing a lot of speaking and I'm just curious, do you have any favorite moments from giving a talk, you know, a comment or somebody who followed up with something or anything, any, any favorite talk or moment through this work of it's okay to not be okay?
1: That's such a hard question because I feel like I have so many. Um one talk that I did that was really, really cool is I spoke at the a teacher conference for my district for my elementary and middle schools. So I spoke to teachers that I had like in elementary and middle school, and also teachers who like I didn't have but were in that district um and so it was really cool and a lot of my teachers that came didn't know anything about my story and so they saw it and they were like I had no idea that like any of this was even going on and you were literally in my classroom and so that was a really cool talk and like afterwards like I spoke with um some of the teachers I had we like went for lunch afterwards and we were talking about how So one of the things is when I was in second grade, I used to get kicked out of my classroom by my teacher for having anxiety attacks because she didn't know how to handle it, and she thought I was just like melting down and like having a whatever. And we were talking at lunch with the other teachers, and they were saying how like if this eight-year-old Haley were in 2022 instead of 2007, I would have had a 504 plan for social emotional health. I would have been able to pick my teacher. I would have been able to like have my friends in my classroom. Like there are so so many things that have changed since then that makes me like so hopeful. Um, but that was a really cool talk to like, speak to teachers who like I had, and it was, it was really cool. That was definitely a cool one. Yeah. But, That's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, it does make you think,
0: you know, we are in a different time and we're continuing to evolve and, 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 I see, I see change happening and I I hope it continues because of people like you. Um, fast forward 10 years from now, where, where do you see yourself? Like what's your vision for yourself? Ooh. And the work you do. Um,
1: So I am in the process of starting um, next year, I'm going to be working on starting a mental health community center. So I'm working with a bunch of different organizations to start working on that. And without giving too much away, that's something that I'm really excited about and can see being a very strong possibility. My eyebrows so, are going up to the podcast world. You can't see my expression, but my eyebrows just went up.
0: Okay. Um.
1: So that is definitely where I probably see myself. I could also see myself Being a school social worker, I could also like I'm still going to be teaching dance. I don't know, maybe I'll have a kid. I have no idea.
0: Um, Couple puppies.
1: I would love. I just I'm very much a go with the flow kind of person. It's so it's so funny. I'm very go with the flow, but I'm also very type A, need to plan everything. So I have plans in place, but I also am just open to whatever kind of happens. Um, But I definitely see myself doing something big. That's the goal. Ride the wave, Haley, and it will come because you're an authentic,
0: you're an authentic, wonderful person and the universe will open up for you. How, so, you know, with everything that you have been through and, and the work you've done on with yourself and with the community, how do you take care of yourself? How do you, how do you recharge and what are some, I I thought maybe it would be great to get some tips or pointers. I know that everything doesn't work for everybody, but what do you do to help, help keep yourself going?
1: Yeah. Um, so that's something I also talk about a lot is how, um, first of all, like mental health, anxiety, depression, all of these things are so individualized and so personalized that like We could both deal with anxiety attacks and anxiety, but I will never know what it feels like to have an anxiety attack the exact way you do. And you would never know exactly what it feels like to mine. We can empathize with each other and we can understand what it feels like. And it's so individual that like the way everyone experiences it is completely different. So because of that, the things that help you in those situations might help you, but they might not help someone else. And something that helped me when I was five years old might not help me now, but then maybe when I'm older, something else, it's just, it changes so much throughout your life. So I also think that like, there are certain moments where I need distractions and I need to think about something else and completely do something different and like get out of my house. And also there are times like what helps me most is like literally sitting with my emotions and bawling my eyes out and processing through all of it. And then going to bed. So I would say that something I've really worked on with my therapist and have tried a lot to do lately is plan times to do nothing. So I my whole life have been like a crazy like doing something all the time, because if I don't if I like have time to do nothing, I would get anxiety and I would start thinking and I was like, I need to always be busy. So I never think that's changed over time. And now I'm realizing that like I need to know that I have time to like sit around and do nothing. And that for me is like self care of knowing I can sit on the couch and like watch TV for two hours and do nothing. Or I have a morning where I can sleep in. And so planning, like literally putting in my calendar and being like, on Thursday from four to six, I'm doing nothing. I don't care. Like if I have a million homework assignments, I don't care what it is. I am planning a time to do nothing during this hour. And then having that to like look forward to throughout my week is super helpful for me. Um, so I would say my self-care looks different every day, depending on what I need, which I think is probably how a lot of people probably feel. So it depends on like what you need that day. So I would say that's been my biggest one. Um, but yeah, just prioritizing good. like that make me feel good over things like I quote unquote like should be doing.
0: Yeah. And rest recharges recharges you. Um, I'm laughing because today is National Sleep Awareness Day. So I mm-hmm. think when we're done with this, we should all take a good cozy nap
1: I mean, that sounds in support like a of good.
0: that. <laughs> so how do people get in touch with you, Haley, if they are interested in learning more about you or... Booking you for an event. I've already referred you to a couple high schools. I don't know if you've gotten a call. We'll check on that later. But tell us how people could get in touch with you.
1: Yes. So you can find me on Instagram or on Facebook. My Instagram is hey H A Y underscore it's okay not to be okay. And okay is spelled like just okay, not okay, okay, A Y. And then my Facebook is the it's okay to not be okay movement. You can also just search me on Instagram or Facebook on my personal accounts, Haley Epstein. And then all the links to all those things are in my bios of my personal accounts too. Um, but yeah, I'm always answering DMs. I always feel free to reach out anytime. And then my email is also in all of those bios and such like that. So yeah. Thank you so much, Haley. I, I know we're going to stay connected.
0: And I, we're going to cross paths again and again. And just thank you for your your vulnerability in life, not just this podcast, but in life. And you make a huge difference and um, you make the world a better place. So thank you for coming.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I mean, touche. Everything you guys are doing is unbelievable. So please, it's my pleasure.
0: Let's keep doing it together. Let's keep making Down. good trouble.
1: Good trouble.
0: <laughs> I'm for it. Well, thank you again, everybody, for attending our podcast today. For more information about No Shame on You, please visit our website, Org. Under events, you can see our upcoming events. We are starting to get back in person, but also doing continuing in the land of virtual. So please check us out and visit us soon, and we'll see you again sometime soon. Have a great night.